Welcome to episode 60 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, Liberty Training with an Ethological Approach and Positive Reinforcement with David Lichman. Now, I first heard about David Lichman when I was kind of deep in my Pirelli studies. Um, And I think I also heard about him through Karen Rolf, which if you're a listener of the podcast, you know that I love Karen Rolf's work. Um, And I think David was Karen's first introduction to Pirelli Natural Horsemanship at the time, um, many years ago. So who is David? David Lichman is a five-star master Pirelli professional with a specialty in Liberty Horses. He teaches worldwide, helping students find a better relationship with their horses and the relaxation and posture fundamental to all riding. David has performed with his three-horse act, which includes bridalist riding and riding to music. He is the creator of the DVD set Liberty Outside the Round Pen, which I have personally bought and watched and used in my own training, enabling students to play at Liberty with exuberance in large open areas. David lives in California with his wife, two children, nine horses, four dogs, four cats, and dozens of chickens, pigeons, and canaries. So you can tell he is definitely an animal lover. In David's words, I don't see them as horses. I see them as friends. And this is, I just loved when David mentioned this in the podcast. He goes on to say, they have names, desires, and needs as do I. Friends help fulfill each other's needs and desires. In this episode, we discuss David's horsemanship journey and how he came to use a mix of positive and negative reinforcement in his training with horses, the common objections for both reinforcement styles and David's thoughts on those and why he uses both, some of the incredible things he has been able to achieve with multiple horses at Liberty, how to give your horse a happy life beyond the basic needs, Insights from discussions that David has had with other famous trainers such as Katya Schumann, Frederick Pignon, and Bent Branderup, plus who else he would like to have dinner with. Handy tools that David uses to get his horse's itchy spots and prevent hock sores, plus all the usual fun horsemanship breakthroughs questions that you guys love. My first impression of David after speaking with him in this interview was that, you know, I always knew that he was like a a really kind of quirky and unique guy, Um, but I really found him to be to be so humble. You know, he's achieved some amazing things with horses. And he I think at at one point in the episode, he says he said he doesn't even consider himself to be a great horseman and he clearly is so he's really humble he's he's really interesting person and clearly very good with horses I know you're going to get a lot from this episode um, and make sure you check out the links in the show notes as well because he talks about some really cool things that he does with his horses and I've got the links to those in the show notes so if you want to have a look at those just find them there um And of course, as always, if you love this episode, please screenshot and share it on social media or maybe even forward it to a friend who you think might like the episode because the more that we get the word out, the more that we can have a positive impact on the horse world. So I really appreciate every single share of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. So thanks again for being here and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. 
I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory. And now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, David Lichman, to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. It's an absolute honor to have you on the show today. Welcome and thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. First up, can you tell us about your horsemanship journey to date from when you got into horses and what has led to what you're doing today? Oh, that's a long story. I'm uh, 72. (laughs) (laughs) It it all started in the 50s uh, with the the Lone Ranger, really. I I don't know if you have him over there and... uh... Well, you're probably too young for starters, and then the Lone Ranger didn't show up uh, uh, in Australia either. Probably, anyway, the Lone Ranger was a, it was originally a radio uh, teleplay, and then it became a television show in the '50s. And um, this guy had a you know a white horse named Silver, and at the opening of the uh, of the show. They he comes you know galloping up this hill um, on this white horse with the uh, the William Tell overture playing you know dun, 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 and, and, he, and he goes up on this hill and the horse rears and then you know there was from then on this you know the stories were uh, irrelevant there were horses <laughs> and and that was a uh, that that was a big thing for me that somehow I triggered that I needed to be with horses, whether it was, you know, pony rides or trail rides or, you know, uh, drugstore horses for a quarter, you know, (laughs) anything you could fork a leg over. That was, that was, uh, for me. Um, and you know, as I, uh, grew up, uh, there, there was a series called Mr. Ed. You, are you familiar with Mr. Ed? Yes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I, I, I watched those and, you know, and I fell in love with this idea that, you know, you could communicate with animals. That's, you know, it's like a little bit of a Dr. Doolittle kind of a thing. And, and of course, Mr. Ed was always smarter than Wilbur and, uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, not too long ago, I watched every episode, all 123 of them, again, just to look at the horse training to see what what's going on there, if there was anything you know interesting or exciting. Um, uh, but you know, back to as a youth, I didn't really have very many opportunities to to be with horses. I, I lived in a suburb of Boston and. It wasn't until I discovered that there was a barn down by the junior high school, um, and I went down there and I traded stall cleaning for you know every day after school for once a week lessons riding Rex, <laughs> Rex the Wonder Horse, <laughs> and they uh, and that started me. But it was kind of hit and miss. I went to a riding camp one summer. I worked as a you know, uh, like a groom on a trail trail riding thing in New Hampshire, but very sporadic uh, horse a- a- access to horses. Um, I did take some riding lessons in college when I found out that instead of taking PE, I could take horseback riding. So oh, <laughs> I did, I did, 
I did that. I, I didn't like it so much because they made me post without stirrups and I couldn't walk for a week. <laughs> just about my legs would just start, just start to heal and then I'd be up there doing it again. But uh, then, you know, life took me in other directions. And uh, it wasn't until I got married in 1983 that uh, my wife and I realized that we both loved horses, both wished we had horses. So we got them. And that's where it started uh, from there. Um, I went and saw Ray Hunt, and that was a that was an eye opener. Here's this, you know people sitting around at a state fair. You know they don't they can't even understand what he's doing, and I'm looking at him, and he's holding up his finger and predicting which way the horse is going to turn and what the ear is going to do, and he's just you know he's doing this miracle stuff. And so I went home and tried some of those things with my horses, and then uh, the next year, Pat Pirelli showed up at the same state fair and, you know, they were starting colts. They were starting one colt per day, uh, at four 30 in the afternoon when it was like in your temperature of 40 degrees. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hot. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, but you know, I got to watch Pat and then Pat had something to offer me in terms of, uh, you know, an outline, you know, what Ray did was kind of mystical and you kind of follow what you could, but Pat kind of had it had it worked out even way back then to where you could follow along. And then, you know, of course, I, I started following Pat uh, very uh, conscientiously. And then I discovered a woman by the name of Casey Cover, who was she was doing clicker uh, training and she had she she had a uh, she was trying to find a way to, you know, to make a living at it. And so she had discovered that back then that the pot-bellied pigs were big so she was going around uh, the country doing clinics for pot-bellied pig owners helping them get along with their pigs better and when i met her she brought me to meet dr jennifer zelligs who was her, one of her students and uh, they were doing a horse and uh, a horse training thing so she invited me down as kind of a colleague and we once I met Jennifer, my life kind of changed again. So Pat was the first change, and this Jennifer was the second because uh, I, I have so much information about positive reinforcement training and all all training actually. Um, so that's what what you know gives me, I think, a little bit of the special sauce is is having those two mentors. And then recent recently, I've I've pulled uh, I've been attracted to. Uh, Academic Art of Writing with Ben Brandrop and his main, uh, one of his main uh, instructors is a friend of mine named Christopher Dahlgren. And that that's totally fascinating to me. So I've kind of pulled some of that in with the positive reinforcement training as well. Yeah, wow. I feel like you've got the best of all worlds there in terms of the natural horsemanship, the positive reinforcement, clicker training. And I didn't know you were interested in academic art of writing as well, which is sort of where my interest is at the moment too. So that's really cool. Um, and what does your life look like today in terms of teaching and clinics and, you know, give us an idea in terms of a day in the life of David? Well, uh, I was, I, I took a year off in 2019 to get my knee replaced. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then of course COVID hit. <laughs> so I, I was supposed to get two knees replaced. I never got the second one replaced. And I had to transfer all of my uh, teaching to online because mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't, tra I was, I was traveling the world. That was, that was my life it was, you know, every month I was gone. And, uh, 
it, it had sort of uh, evolved to where I would do two months in Europe and two months in Australia and then a few other things. Um, but I had nothing. So we built this internet uh, teaching thing with the help of uh, Molly Sanders, uh, Shine a Light Virtual Learning. And um, I've been a little bit COVID shy, so I haven't really left. The the people are out doing live clinics now again, so the internet um, opportunities, they're still there, and I want to do more of them, but I think people are, are a little bit more interested in having hands-on stuff now that now that it's safer so at the moment i'm uh i'm, I'm not I haven't been teaching anything live but i am working on building up the portfolio of of students online through a coaching system that i do so every day i have to go and and check in and see what the students are doing and i, I coach their they post a video and i coach it and i'm working uh i'm going to be traveling for the first time <laughs> Uh, in a few days, I'm going to be going up to Washington State to serve as, as an advisor on a documentary, so uh, the uh, horse trainer credit in a, in a movie. And uh, in between, I'm fortunate enough to have students here with me now, so we go out and play with horses, basically. At the moment, we're just trying to recapture what they used to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they haven't, they haven't had a lot of uh, activity and specifically with the three uh you know uh, grown horses uh, one of them is very intimidated by one of the others and they live together so all of a sudden you know this is a common problem for most people playing with multiple horses but all of a sudden it's an issue that i'm i'm having to spend more time with is helping give the one that gets picked on when i'm not around and i can't change that but I can change how he feels about being with the others when I'm there because I can protect him and make sure he feels safe. So that's that's what I've been doing a day in a life today. And also, I'm playing a lot of music for some reason. I dusted off my uh, bass guitar after 15 years of not playing. I decided to start playing again. Yeah, cool. I feel like there's quite a few equestrians who are also musically minded. I don't know whether they go sort of hand in hand in terms of the rhythm or, you know, being in that flow state. There seems to be some kind of correlation there. Well, I believe you're correct. Uh, Dr. Miller wrote a little book about it. He, he said, you know, he started to notice that all of the the great horsemen that he knew, and I, not that I consider myself great, but he, I am in his book. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and, he, and he'd find a couple, he'd find a guy, uh, he found Lester Buckley, and he, oh no, I don't, I'm not, I'm not musical. I don't play. Well, after pressing him, turns out he's a you know quite an accomplished violinist. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so you know, just hadn't done it in a long time. But you know, it's I think that there is a correlation uh, between maybe not just horses, but probably at least just horses, and the and some kind of creative uh, artistic bent. Hmm, interesting. And with all of the experience that you've had and the different areas that you're interested in in terms of horse training, how would you summarize your training approach or philosophy with horses today? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it. But the, the simple fact of the matter is that natural horsemanship, ethological horsemanship, you know, where you see people, you know, saying, I want to be, you know, I want to behave like the horses in the herd so that the herd, the herd horses will trust me and they will follow my leadership. And, you know, we can communicate the way horses communicate is that's based primarily on 
negative reinforcement in terms of moving the horse and giving them uh, in, information and motivation as to what to do. You know, with some, you know, of course, we, you know, we we do a lot of things to uh, ingratiate ourselves, ingratiate ourselves to them. But uh, the, I think, you know, I did that. I learned it from Pat Pirelli, and then what I learned from uh, Casey Cover and Jennifer Zelig's is this approach of using positive reinforcement and bridging target training. So, in a nutshell. Uh, you can, in negative reinforcement, you can say, move away from this pressure towards something. <laughs> With positive reinforcement and targeting, you can say, move here. <laughs> so it's more information. And plus, when you get there, you know, you get a big, you know, bucket of oats or something, <laughs> right? So, so now we have more information about where exactly you need to be and what exactly you need to do. And, uh, high incentive to do it so by combining those two things i think i've got the best of both worlds uh certainly we have fabulous trainers who never use uh, you know clickers or positive reinforcement or, or bridge and target and they get great results you know buck Brandeman is one of those and we have some people uh who are doing primarily positive reinforcement with horses and and trying to eliminate the you know the negative reinforcement and they're getting you know some good results. Uh, the downside of that, in particular, I see is that the, when the horses want to play, uh, they're spectacular. But if they if they have any any distraction or some reason not to play, they're missing the ethological piece that says, you know, I'm part of the herd. I'm the protector of the herd. You need to be with me. You need to focus on me. That piece is missing. So we get you know, in one case, we don't get the necessarily the exuberance that we would if we had we're using some positive reinforcement and if we're not using any negative reinforcement or ethological training horsemanship whatever you want to call it uh we're missing out on this herd herd dynamic that is so powerful and has been proven so for thousands of years so my approach is uh using a combination of positive and negative reinforcement that i think outweighs uh the the uh, the value of either alone used alone yeah, it sounds like you have a really balanced approach. I've I've found that, you know, a lot of people are either extremely one way or the other. What do you think are some of the arguments towards both sides in terms of objections for using positive or negative reinforcement? And and what what are your thoughts on those arguments? Yeah, well the the you know, of course the objection to negative reason reinforcement is um they're moving away from pressure, which is an aversive, which means you have to provide an aversive. So uh, in scientific terms, that's a punisher. You know, we, we don't need to go into the depths of the, of the science of it, but basically you're putting in something they don't like and that is problematic, right? Yeah, I, I don't want to wave a flag in my horse's face. I don't want to, you know, tap on his butt to make him feel uncomfortable. So that's one of the objections. Uh, but what we discover is that because it's ethological, because it's part of their nature, as long as we don't act predatory and as long as we first establish ourselves as a safe member of the herd, uh, they don't really particularly take offense at it. And they kind of like knowing where they stand. You know, they, they, they feel more comfortable when they can be sure of you mm -hmm. and your responses. So that's the downside of uh, negative reinforcement that people complain about. And uh, of course, with positive reinforcement, they're always talking about, um, well, there's two things. One is he's just doing it for the treats. 
right? <laughs> yeah. And this this is this is especially bothersome to me because you know, this type of person, they don't they don't necessarily want to use negative reinforcement, but they don't they don't want to give the horse something that he wants and likes because they're afraid that the horse will like that more than they'll like them and there's some kind of mystical vision of that the unicorn is going to come and dance with them just because because they're (laughs) they're a great dance partner or something so so i think that's a little bit naive um and and why would you deny something that they love to them just because you're afraid you know that's your own insecurity i would say so that's one of the the downsides the other side of course is being mugged you know, for treats and, you know, the horses, you know, it not, it's not that he's only doing it for the treats, but he's only thinking about the treats. Yeah. <laughs> he's not thinking about doing anything except the treats. And that's, those are, those are not easy things to change, but they are simple things to change. The fastest path to the treat is through the behavior. That's a pretty simple way to do it. And if you don't like the behavior he's offering, don't, don't reinforce it. Wait until he's offering a behavior, which is commensurate with what you're looking for, which is probably not mugging. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure along your journey, experimenting with these different types of reinforcers, you've had plenty of breakthroughs along the way. And of course, the name of the podcast is Horsemanship Breakthroughs. So I'd love to know from you, what has been your biggest horsemanship breakthrough to date? Well, I'm fortunate that you sent me these questions in advance because I had to think about it for a minute. Um in, you know, as as a Liberty horse trainer, I'm I'm always trying to what I've been trying to do is create circus style Liberty dance routines without a round pen or a ring curb out in a big open area on the beach or in a you know big arena. And uh, there are some circus performers who train in a in a round pen or a, a circus ring, and then the horses get so. Uh, uh, they're pattern oriented. They get so used to that that they can actually come out and do things. And we have a few uh, wonderful examples of that. But my thing was, can I teach it without using the round pen? So I have been trying to establish this relationship of uh, cooperation when when there's you know less of a safety net, and uh, and I think that makes for something stronger. So in the process of doing that, I have horses going around me uh in tandem or in triples and they're going around in the same direction and i always was too afraid to try to have one going one way and two going the other way i was just afraid of that that i would screw up everything else because i don't have the ring curb to to rely on if there's a mistake they they go everywhere which way but uh, after visiting with Mustang Maddie and watching her do it, I said, "Okay, I can do this." And and uh, um, she had her she had two pairs of horses going in opposite directions, and I decided I would interleave mine. So I have you know one going left, the next farthest one from me goes right, and the next farthest one goes left. And that was that was a huge thing when when that happened for me. I just I I, I was just so joyful. I do have uh, a couple of others uh, the. I call it a weave. Um, so you have three horses traveling in a line and uh, the first one doubles back and goes between the other two. And then they just keep following this pattern like a juggler. So the left one comes back and goes through the middle. The right one comes back and goes through the middle. The left one comes back through. The middle. Now the, the, uh, the first one is now on the right and he's coming back and they, this kind of, I call it a weave. Um, and, and this took me a long time 
to figure out how to do. Um, so I, I, that was a big accomplishment. I, I started it with riding the horses. I got two other riders because I just, I, it was such a complicated maneuver. And then I would take one horse at Liberty with two riders. And then I would go through each of the horses. So each one individual horse and then two horses. And finally I could do all three, but getting to the big accomplishment, I did that for a couple of years with two sets of Liberty horses. But this year I was able to do it without the fence. So I, I had them next to a fence. The fence kind of supports the whole thing. And uh, just this year, I, I've been able to do it without uh, that offense. So that was huge for me. That is incredible. I would love to see. I don't know if you've posted videos of this anywhere on social media, but I think that would be so cool for people to see and inspiring. They are. And I'll make sure that you have a link to those. Excellent. I'll pop them in the show notes. And the, the last one maybe hit home to you is uh, being able to do at Liberty uh, school halt and haunches in at the walk and trot and starting to do canter now. Um, so adding the academic ground skills, but doing them at Liberty, that's been, that's, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty tickled with that breakthrough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Love that. That is one of my personal goals is to ride bareback and bridleless Grand Prix dressage one day, who knows when I don't have a time frame on it, but that's to me, that would be the absolute pinnacle. So Hopefully one day we'll see where we where we go. Um, what is something that you wish that every horse owner would do differently? Well, um, I think recognize them as individuals. And I, I, I have a little quote that I use, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Um, but for me, it says, I don't see them as horses. I see them as friends. They have names, desires, and needs, as do I. And friends help fulfill each other's needs and desires. So, you know, in, instead of thinking about them as transportation or, you know, any any discipline or anything that you want them to do, first consider them as, you know, buddies. You know, we're going to we're going to I'm I'm going to look out for your needs before I look out for my own. And that's if if people would do that their their whole life with horses would change, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's sort of like that quote. Um, is it love the horse first and the sport second? Like we really need to be putting the horse's needs before our own motives in a way, which probably leads into the answer for your next question. I'm guessing, which is, what do you think makes a happy horse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, this is a this is a fairly uh, common question now. In fact, uh, Taryn Rolf. Um, had a whole uh, uh, discussion. We did. We had three or four people on that discussion, uh, including Jennifer Zellig that I I uh, mentioned before. Uh, you know what makes a happy horse, and and uh, of course Linda Pirelli now has a whole um, adventure. She's calling Happy Horse, Happy Life. But it's for me, it's not that uh, it's not that complicated. Num number one, the basics. Okay, food, shelter, room to move, and friendly companions. So. I think, you know, th those are requirements for any horse uh, to be happy. So they can they can be somewhat happy with, you know, let's say if they live alone and don't have companions or somewhat happy if they don't have room to move, but they have companions that they can play with over the fence. You know, you can it doesn't have to be perfect, but those those are the basic elements. After that, I think uh, a happy horse is one who has interesting and provocative partners who make learning and doing fun and rewarding. 
Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, uh, people sometimes call it enrichment, but any interactions, the, the, the lack of interaction can actually be boring and they can be unhappy, you know, especially horses that have had the opportunity to have um, uh, fun and interesting and provocative partners. And then when that goes away, they get, you know, they, you know, hey, what happened to all the fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or especially, you know, if, if I would go to Australia for two months, you know, the horses are like super eager to play when you get back because uh, they've been doing without that piece. I think it's an important enrichment piece, but it's also an important piece of having horses in captivity, let's say, is uh, is keeping their their interests and uh, uh, and and learning active and making it fun and rewarding and not not task oriented or or punishing. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if you've thought about this too, David, but I've um, you know considered you know would horses have a better life if humans weren't involved, but then, you know, I will leave my horses for a few weeks or whatever and they're just so eager to do things and I'll call them and they'll come running down and neighing. So that says to me, no, they do enjoy this and I think it does provide that extra layer of enrichment in their life on top of their basic needs already being met. So Yeah, absolutely. And the, the idea is that um, we, in, in terms of the basic needs, you know, we, we put a lot of time and effort into that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, money. <laughs> and, and money and, you know, and it's, it's, it's a hardship to make sure that they're, you know, fed and groomed and vaccinated and dewormed and, you know, their teeth done and get their exercise, all, everything that they need physically. Um, and so um, it's, it, that's fulfilling their needs you know, so asking them to fulfill our needs after their needs have been fulfilled is is kind of it's it's a mutual thing. I, I would say it's you know that that's if you're going to take away you know the fun stuff, you would also take away the stuff that you know you know they're out there in the in the on the outbacks you know looking for you know a blade of grass and being being harassed by predators and you know it it it's uh it's there are they they wouldn't necessarily be happier if there were no humans i think that the question you may be getting at is would they be happier if i did everything for them and they didn't ask a thing from them <laughs> and that, that's that's just kind of unfair i think that's unfair to to us to say you know i'm not yeah. going to ask anything from you i'm and when i ask i always make it worth your while right i'm not i'm not saying you must do this because uh, because i fed you this morning i'm saying hey would you like to do this? Because I think you'll enjoy it. It'll be even more fun than what we were doing before. Yeah, exactly. And it's this relationship, it's kind of got to be a two-way street. Like any relationship, I guess, there's always some kind of benefit to both individuals within that relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I agree. I think they do get a better, safer, healthier life in domestication versus, you know, the wild, so to speak, where there are no humans providing them with those things that make them thrive. But anyway, this is the much anticipated question coming up that um, I would like to know and our friend Andrea would like to know. If you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be? Well, uh, my answer to Andrea, Andrea Waddy, we're talking about, you did a podcast with her, I think. Yes. Um, And I said, well, you know, I've been blessed. I've had um, dinner with a lot of the people I I just was thrilled to be able to uh, in in terms of you know horse people and and people I want to learn from and Andrea of course one of them but um, 
the people on the already list is Katja Schumann, fifth generation circus uh, trainer. She's she has been a huge influence in my life. Uh, Frederick Pignon, he was the one who started uh, Cavalia. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Ben Brandrop, I had dinner with him. I had dinner with someone by the name of Zaley Bullen. You might know. Wait, these are people you've had dinner with. <laughs> Right. Already. So I've had amazing. I've, yeah, Bob Miller, Mustang Maddie, it goes on. But oh when, my gosh. When when somebody that's not a horse person would ask me this question, who you know, if you could go back in time and history, who would you want to see? Absolutely the hands down answer, number one answer is uh Dr. Jim Key. And uh there's a book um uh, out by the name of Beautiful Jim Key, the story of horse and the man who trained him something like that it's pretty close mm-hmm. and uh are you familiar with it no no i'm not okay well, I, I, rec- I recommend the book so it happened in the united states the turn of the century around 1900 and this uh this guy was a was a freed slave self-taught veterinarian and doctor and he had found this uh like miracle mud you know, uh, liniment or, you know, mud packs or something to, uh, to help with healing. And he was traveling around selling this stuff. And he had this horse that he was using as an attraction to, uh, you know, to sell his, his veterinary stuff. And it, it turns out that the horse and he had established this, this brilliant show that, Around the turn of the century, millions and millions of Americans saw them at uh, at the World's Fair and at all these these huge events. That massive pavilions that were always packed with people come to see him. He could he could uh, uh, spell by using cards. He could uh, uh, use a cash register and make change. I mean, all all of these amazing amazing things that this horse could do. And uh, they even brought the horse to, I think, Harvard in uh, in Massachusetts, and they wanted to know, you know, what's going on here? And their the scientist's evaluation, the psychologist's evaluation, was an extreme case of learning. So that's who I I want to sit on the fence and and you know visit with him as he's training this horse. So it's, this is uh, that was that was uh... was this the horse that uh, could count, or was that a different case? Yeah, the case of uh, Clever Hans it was a horse in Europe that uh, could do math problems, and and what that uh, that case study is used to describe the the incredible perception of the horse that the horse would you know would start pawing when he was asked a question that was kind of a trained behavior, but he would quit counting when he hit the right answer because the tiniest facial expression on the trainer would change. Like the look of, yes, you made it, you know, a little raised eyebrow or a little, you know, or a little kind of relaxing of the, of the anxiety about, is he going to make it, make it. And, uh, and that, you know, that, that fooled a lot of people until they put the trainer behind a screen and then the horse couldn't do anything. So that's a different, that's a different deal. But this, this horse, uh, uh, they had these pamphlets out. They used the horse in, in terms of helping develop the Society of Prevention Cruelty to Animals. The the pamphlet says he was trained through kindness. He talks a little bit in the book. She talks a little bit in the book about this, uh, uh, the way he was learned to, to learn the alphabet. He had cards, cardboard cards with the letters on them. 
and he he put sugar water on them, and then he had to go to metal cards because the horse was eating <laughs> the, the you know the the cardboard cards, and um, and he he uh, you know the idea that you know he was trained through kindness uh, is is the other piece of the puzzle that you know I want to see you know. I want to see Bond de Barn. What was he actually doing with the horse? I, the, the two things that I do know is um, he had three different wives. Uh, he married sisters, one after the other, when they uh, passed away, and he had no children. So I think he was spending too much time with the horse, <laughs> for starters. And he, um, um, I forgot where I was going with this. He, he, <laughs> oh yes. So what and why? Why am I just now, you know, in the you know, in the twenty first century, finding out about this guy? And uh, this, the woman who wrote the book, I think her name is Reva or Reeve something. Uh, she, the, the whole last third of the book, is references from magazines, newspapers, periodicals, books of all kind about this horse and his show and this man this doctor um and you know i think it's because you know he was black you know he was you know i think you know the the idea that, you know that a, a former slave that this story was lost it, completely lost so i'm thrilled that you know that it's that it's making its way back and i, I can't i can't uh recommend the book highly enough I, I sent the book to morgan freeman who who uh you know he's a, an incredible actor and i know that he has horses mm -hmm. and i saw later on that he did purchase the rights the film rights to the book but i don't see that you know that's been years and i don't see that anything has happened with it but i did tell him you know yeah, that I would, I would freeman. <laughs> i did tell him i'd work on the movie for free if he uh, if he needed some horse help oh my goodness <laughs> So Jim, you know, Doctor Jim Key, the turn of the century. That's number one. And then I had I had three others that I was thinking about. Will Rogers, you, you know who he is. He was a a political a satirist who uh, was a you know world champion roper, and uh, and performed on vaudeville stages all over the United States. Um, Les Hilton would be an interesting one because he's the one that trained Mister Ed. Mm -hmm. And then, just because I'm talking to you, I thought maybe I'd like to meet J.D. Wilton. He's uh, most people don't know who he is, but I think in Australia, people know who he is. Uh, I don't know if I've heard of that name actually. No, you just look him up. He okay. <laughs> he 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 had he had these horse acts that he would do, and and uh, he would put a dummy on a horse, and then the horse would jump the jump, and the dummy would fall off. Then two horses would come running up with uh, with a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> and and the and the horse that you know, dumped the rider would pick the dummy up and put it on the stretcher and the three of them would go off to the ambulance. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. I'll have to look him up. That's that's part of Australian heritage for sure. There you go. Um we're famous for some pretty uh interesting things. <laughs> um I want to go back to I, I still think it's amazing that you've had dinner with Katya Schumann, Frederick Pignon, um, Bent Brander up. Can you give us like a little bit of an insight as to the sort of discussions you had or any breakthroughs you had from conversations with them? Well, you know, Katya um, 
is interesting. Uh, the most, probably the most interesting because we've been friends now for 20 years. And um, I went to see the circus in Boston when I went home to visit my folks. That's like 3,000 miles from here. And my sister said, oh, you, you want to go uh, to the circus in Boston? There's a there's a one-ring European-style circus called Big Apple Circus. And it, and it was on the cover of the you know the Boston Globe and and she said oh you should probably go to that so I went and the opening of the show was the lights came down a misty fog filled the circus ring these six uh, white Arabian stallions came out milling around rolling you know bucking jumping rearing playing with each other with this uh, kind of like you know peaceful music playing and then out comes this hooded figure the horses all kind of circle around and line up around her. They stand in their hind legs and then they walk out. And I went, this is different. Wow. <laughs> and so I wrote her a little note and I said, oh, you know, I, you know, I loved. And later on during, you know, she did these amazing uh, choreographed routines with the horses. And I said, and I just, you know, I loved the way that the horses were uh, were free. They didn't have side reins. Everything looked, you know, so beautiful and natural. And I just, you know, to compliment you. And then. Um, and I sent her to her, you know, by mail in a card. And uh, then I came back to California and I got um, a call that, uh, you know, she said, oh, my God, I've been looking for a Prelly person. I, I knew that, you know, I, there's so much that we learned from my family and you know, all the generations, but I still feel like there's something to learn from this. So we started visiting all the time. And she let me play with these, you know, incredibly well-trained Liberty horses, you know, as an educational piece. And and she would hand me the sticks and say, I'm going for coffee. Just, you know, you know what to do. And I'd be terrified. And I'd say, uh, you know, just get one to come in <laughs> and while the others are going around and then go back out and then they all come in. That was, the, you know, that was all I could do. And uh, and I managed to screw it up so badly that, you know, later on she told me, she says, uh, when, when you were doing something with Mossad, one of the horses, she says, it took me a week. <laughs> to get him back <laughs> because he oh my was so gosh really he was so confused yeah she <laughs> told she, she told me when they come in when they all come in just only one thing keep them all lined up don't let one push ahead then the other one pretty soon you'll be outside and they'll push you out so make sure you have a perfect line and don't let them cross the line so i get them all in they're all lined up perfectly i go Phew. and i look down and every single one of them is stepping on the lash of the of the long whip that they use <laughs> it's like they had completely uh you know incapacitated me <laughs> using, using that they knew exactly what they were doing so from there we've been having you know akacha has been with me to the pirelli ranch we've co-taught courses she, and she's she's just uh brilliant so i've learned a ton from her and she has a tiny little circus in denmark in the northern part of uh of Jutland now that she's uh she's doing um, in the summertime over there. Uh, Fred Pignon, um, I got lucky enough to know one of the vaulters, uh, which who's also fairly famous. His name is um, Eric Martonovich. And Eric was was in charge of the, you know, getting the vaulting team together for Cavalia when it first started. And so Eric got me to introduce to Frederick and I got to watch his his perform uh, not only the performances, but I got to hang around with him during the day and watch the rehearsals. And and he was telling me, for example, that he had these three stallions, and um, and he said they, you know, they're just. 
I'm trying everything because the rehearsal goes okay, but during the show, it's just you know it's getting screwed up. They're they're you know they're fighting with each other and they're not listening to me and they're and I'm trying you know turnout time. Do I need a bigger turnout area? Do I need to turn them out separately? Do I need to turn them out together? He was experimenting, doing all this stuff. I said, you know, if you geld them, you probably you know you wouldn't have to show up at work at eight in the morning. You could show up at four and do your show at six. And he said, yeah, but I still feel like I have something to learn from them. <laughs> which which I thought was that now that's something um he did tell me that in terms of the horses if he if he lets them just go you know at each other then then he's he he's not part of the picture they do their own show <laughs> if he's if he's too rigid and says no don't bite don't look at him don't you know don't pin an ear don't do nothing then they lose interest in doing anything then they get lackluster and they won't do anything. So he says, I've been trying to find this balance. Um, ben Brandrop is a, he's a character. That's all I can say. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's worth uh, seeing. He's, he, 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 what he says is that he's more of a historian than a horse trainer, mm-hmm. but he's, he's pretty smart about the horses and the, and he is definitely, you know, historian. He knows he knows everything about the history of horse training from Xenophon forwards and why one technique worked and why one technique was replaced by another and why it should go back to it. And I think he personally discovered the school halt and, and, and resurrected it. He found it in some book somewhere and said, Oh, this, this looks like it'll work. Let's try it. And he's tried all these things to see why they were done. And, uh, uh, and he used to be a circus performer. I found out when I met him. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So many interesting horse trainers and yeah, particularly those three. I'm like, oh wow, I'd love to have them on the podcast one day. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. You I mean, since you're in Australia, you might reach out to Zaley Bullen. She's fascinating. She wrote a great book called The Love, Sweat and Tears. Okay. And you read about her her life with her what you know, as a young woman, she went off to France and uh to study with someone who was was not all that polite to her. <laughs> And how she came out of that learning and not being, you know, broken was, you know, when I met her, I had just read the book and I just said, you know, you, you, you have so much respect for me because she held her own. She did not, you know, the, 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 uh, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. The, the machoism of the French, uh, male kind of put it in, into a, a place where the women around him were, it was like a harem and she refused to participate. To, to her own demise in some of the training situations, you know, but uh, I, more power to her. She stood up for her own and, and she's a phenomenal trainer. Yeah. Wow. That's two book recommendations that you've already given us. And there's, um, as you know, one of my questions is, do you have any favorite horse books or resources? Are there any others that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Um, just the, the books from Dr. Zellig's Animal Training 101 uh, was her first book. And that's uh, that discusses all of the techniques in a scientific way and tells you what's the benefits and drawbacks of each. So you can pick and choose how to get the best results for an individual animal on an individual, individual day with an individual training task. So you, you get to learn so much about it. But there is a lot of information about positive reinforcement training in there. Mm-hmm. And then her most recent book is called Mindful Partners. And that's more of a how do you use these techniques to to help the horse uh be his best self 
like how can you consider the horse first through these techniques so that that's a, a little bit more of a of a not so much of a guide as to how to use the techniques but how to feel about the techniques and how to how to be and how to how to listen to the horses so that you know which technique to pull yeah i i have read both of jennifer zelling's books and i really liked mindful partners because sometimes when i read more scientific type texts i get in this kind of mechanical state about training um but then it was so kind of refreshing to hear from someone who is so scientific that she has this side as well you know it is an art and a science and um yeah she just brings that together so beautifully in mindful partners so that is already on our um resource book list for our listeners so i love that you mentioned those (laughs) excellent It's it's called the it is called Zen and the Art and Science of Animal Training, I think. But but she does talk about it as an art and a science. Yes, yeah, beautiful. And what has been your best horse related purchase in the last twelve months? Oh, I I really haven't bought much <laughs> in the last twelve months. You know, a lot of people say this. Maybe it's me who has the retail shopping addiction. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, I probably bought everything <laughs> that yeah. I could find, but but I do have three really, really, uh, or two, I'll say, two really cool products that I that I, I absolutely love, and I buy them. I continue to buy them because you know they wear out; they're not uh, they're they're uh, consumables. The uh, the first is called Hands On Gloves, and you can get them through Amazon, I think, but they also have a website, Hands On Gloves, and these are like rubber gloves with little fingers all over them, little hard fingers. Mm-hmm. And you can use them to just scratch your horse, groom your horse. But what I love about it is that, you know, if you take a curry comb, it's, you know, it's using a tool. When you put these gloves on, it's, you can squeeze your fingers and you can use your hands. It feels like you're giving the horse a massage, which you are. And uh, you can also use them for bathing and, uh, and for the dogs and, everything else but uh, i use them as a uh because the horses they see you put them on they come running and that's 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 uh <laughs> i met i met a woman in uh in switzerland who was training cows and she took the challenge to train cows that were not that she didn't raise from babies these are you know adult cows and she got them to come and stand for her and let her sit on them and ride them and wow. do stuff with them but she said you know, she started out by one. I want them to think of me as their personal massage monkey. So she would crawl around under their legs, scratching the itchy spots and crawl around on their backs. And I thought, this is exactly the way I want to do um, cold starting. Yeah. And these these gloves really help. I mean, I, I, the horses think of me as their personal massage monkey when I'm up there. That's great. And then suddenly hang over their back just to get to that extra itchy spot. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, they come come. I mean, many people have seen this, but it always fascinates me that when I stop, they'll they'll point to the to the itchy spot they want you to rub. They'll, they'll you know whether it's in their flank or their hind leg or their shoulder. They'll they'll they'll, they'll nip it, and then they'll you know hey, come on this spot. Mm-hmm. The um, the other product is called Hawk Shields. Uh, Hawk Shields. It's like it's like it sounds, and uh, she developed a, a product that can go on the hawk. It doesn't fall off and doesn't bind, and it protects them from getting those hawk sores from laying down on hard surfaces. Yeah, 
and she also has some that go on the fetlocks now because some horses when they go down they go down like on their knees and they rub there so uh, her name is sherry click but uh th those are fabulous products uh that and nothing else works <laughs> I've, I've tried everything else that's out there um because they stay on mm. Yeah, I remember I used to have a horse who would always get those um, little sores on her hocks from lying down for too long on hard ground, um, and I never found a solution for that, but they sound really interesting. I've also wanted to put like a big sand pile out so my horses can have a nice soft surface to lie down on, which they frequently do together. So, yeah, I think it's a that's a good sign, though, that horses are lying down for that long. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's the laying down and getting up where where, yeah. where it rubs it and um we, they don't get them in the winter here because everything's you know muddy mm -hmm. but in the summer everything gets super dry and hard and that's difficult so yeah. i mean we don't keep the horses in stalls we don't use bedding I, I, you could you know spend thousands of dollars on shavings and and there's yeah. no guarantee they would no guarantee they would go in there <laughs> to lay down exactly um but we can't afford it and uh these are great for the you know it's only a couple of the horses it's just the way they get up mm. it's a problem yeah but uh it's she she has created a solution that works very cool i'll have to check them out as well and david you've already achieved so much with horses but i'd love to know what is your ultimate goal yeah i had to think about this for a minute um I, i'm going to say it pretty tersely uh i like doing cool stuff that the horses enjoy that makes people feel good when they watch it I like that. <laughs> um, I used to. I used to. At some point, I had to do an ego check to say, you know, why am I doing? Why am I asking this horse to sit in a chair? Right? Like <laughs> this is this is this. You know, he's going to break his leg. Something. You know, horrible things. What? You know, what kind of an egomaniac am I that I want to show this? But I started <laughs> to realize that you know they volunteer these behaviors and they love doing it. They love uh, these interactions, and it makes people smile when they watch. So that's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I don't know if you have experienced this, but I feel like each horse has their own favorite um, tasks or exercises or whatever you want to call them. And I don't know if it's based on reinforcement history or whether, you know, cause you could have two horses that have both been reinforced fairly equally for the same behavior, but one horse seems to like it more than the other. Do you find that horses have their favorite tricks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> instantly yes yeah um and you, often it's the one they think uh they're going to be uh, reinforced the most for mm -hmm. so sometimes that's a question of what what did they learn most recently because that's top of mind and they're and they know well you know you know i've been teaching jean bet you know i'm gonna stick my leg out every chance i get because every yeah. time we've been doing it for the past month i've been getting paid you know well for this so part of it is you know what have you been working on recently and part of it is you know there are some other there's some self uh motivating behaviors like uh lying down like sometimes horses will lie down after you train them to lie down when you didn't ask them to lie down because uh, they like the result yeah it's easy they get to rest <laughs> and they get rewarded <laughs> yeah 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 um my, I had to change one of those behaviors uh, for my little uh, miniature horse. I was trying to get him to play basketball, which he does now. Mm -hmm. But he he would he would pick the thing up and throw it, and uh, and we made a little video about that 
because you know that's all he would do with it. I said, well, he's not a he's not a shooter, he's a passer. You know, he likes to dish the rock. He likes to you know pass, and he's a playmaker. He's not you not know, the guy that goes to the net and dunks the basketball. Um, so we put a we put a feed pan out, and we you know filmed a thousand trials until one of them went in. You know, and made it look like he knew what he was doing. But uh, but what what happened is I I I realized why he was throwing it because there was a certain satisfaction in seeing me <laughs> have to go across the yard, pick the thing up, and bring it back to him. Ah. You know, and so it, <laughs> this was a this was a, a training. I I didn't think I would solve it. I thought, well, I'll just pick a horse that likes to hold on to stuff, but. But I, it occurred to me when I had a student here, I said, I, it just occurred to me that he's getting reinforced for doing that when I don't pay him. He's got a, a, a kind of a intrinsic motivation for doing it. He likes to see me run and get it. It's like, you know, we like to throw the ball for the dog and watch him run and get it and bring it back. This horse is doing this to me. <laughs> so I, I started working in the corner. And when he would toss it, it would land at my feet. And I'd just say, no, hold on to it. No, hold on to it. And pretty soon... He, we exhausted that tossing behavior. He started to hold on to it. And then from there, it it went really fast towards carry it, put it in the hoop, stand on your hind legs, put it in the hoop. And then next thing you know, he's playing basketball. Yeah, wow. It so sounds like there's a lot of um, kind of like problem solving within those uh, tricks and tasks that you teach, like when you run into little, I guess, it, not much of a problem, but it was an interesting thing that happened that you had to go, okay, how are we going to change this? Yeah. And I'm not brilliant. It took me like two years to think <laughs> it just, all of a sudden it came to me. I went, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a reason he's doing that. He's being motivated to do it. Yeah, so interesting. I love that they can yeah. be motivated by their own like intrinsic kind of motivators, not just food alone. One of my yeah. If she is given free choice, she'll just go stand on the pedestal. And I genuinely feel like she just likes being taller. She wants to be taller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So before, and then yeah, the problem then becomes how do you train them not to do it? That's another story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. David, before we wrap up, can you tell us what is the one message that you would like our listeners to take away from today's interview? Well, you know, it's what I said earlier. I, I think people should learn about why natural horsemanship or an ethological approach. Maybe I should define that. The eth ethology is the study of how animals interact with each other within the same species. Mm -hmm. So horses, why natural horsemanship works is because it kind of emulates this herd behavior. So knowing why that works and being comfortable with using negative reinforcement, which is what the horses do with each other and then learn how it can be um, greatly enhanced through positive reinforcement the the level of enthusiasm and excitement and commitment and willingness to learn and the speed of learning all of that just goes through the roof when you when you layer in positive reinforcement to that formula so that's that's the one message i think is uh, whether you learn it from me or whether you figure out how to do it on yourself yourself or you know this you have a gal in uh Australia, Georgia Bruce, who does uh, clicker training for horses. He's been on the podcast you know. also. <laughs> Hi, Georgia. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I have a, you know, way of presenting it, but uh, um, I think th the important goal is that you you understand that, you know, the, the 
a, a multifaceted combination approach will give you results that that are you know head and shoulders above what you've been getting if you've been stuck in one or two or or the other of those two modalities. Yes, love that. I'm all about that as well. Um, I think, yeah, people are going to get a lot out of this episode and I'm sure that they'll be wondering, how can we learn more from David? So can you tell us where people can find out more about you and what you offer? Um, I have a you know landing page on the web. It's just my name, davidlichman.com. Just make sure you spell it right. And then from there, you can follow to my online learning opportunities. I have a Facebook group that's open to everyone um, where people share their stuff and we have challenges in there. We have, you know, we offer little training challenges for a couple of months to see, if, you know, what how much people can get accomplished in a couple of months with their horses. And then I have a, you know, a private uh, coaching group, which people submit videos every week. But all of those things are explained in my, uh, on my landing page, just davidlichman.com. That's the easiest way to get there. Perfect. And we'll pop that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast today. I personally got a lot out of today's episode and it's been an absolute honor to have you here. Thank you so much again. You are most welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode. 